Scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. Today we're breaking into a brand new chapter 8 of our good study, our series in 2 Corinthians. But as always, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Father, we thank you that you've brought us this far through seven chapters of this great book. Pray that you'll bless us in this one too. Fill us with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you've made this a gracious church, may we walk in that grace and love you and grow into more Christ-likeness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word grace is mentioned at least three, maybe four times in this passage that we just read. And the context of this particular section of Holy Scripture actually running through the end of chapter 8 is the churches. So we put that together, especially with verse 1, grace, God's grace in the churches. We have a, a very natural and good theme for us today. Now, the churches are those that are in Macedonia, Achaia, and Judea. And these places are separated from each other in those days by quite a bit of distance and even the cultural norms of these particular congregations. And yet, they were all together. Paul is writing this letter from Macedonia, where the most prominent churches were Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So he's about 150 miles north of Corinth, writing this letter. It's written to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, Achaia of Greece. And it is in reference to supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, the church there. We should always by this be reminded of the Catholicity of the church, that we are one great body with the saints in heaven, church triumphant, all the saints on earth and all the true church militant all across the globe. And there's only one church and we care for each other, our hearts are united to each other in a common glorious union in Jesus Christ by the gospel, the Holy Spirit and the covenant of the new covenant of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a beautiful thing. So even as Ryan reminded us in the last two Sunday school classes on Reformed worship, 
people in the New Testament, in this New Covenant era, can worship in different places all over the world, unlike in the Old Covenant where you had to go to Jerusalem, or when you weren't able to go there three times a year, you would have your synagogue system. Now we have the church spread across the entire globe in various places, including right here in Peoria County. And that's what we are enjoying together today. Now the God-loving, Christ-honoring church is the one place on earth where mercy, kindness, grace, generosity, tenderness, compassion, forgiveness, joy, peace, goodness, truth, These things flourish, and they all flourish in the earth through you, the church of God, all in Jesus alone. Therefore, let's make it our gospel goal on this resurrection day when we celebrate Jesus having risen from the dead, being the living crowned king of heaven and earth, the head of the church, to always be a miraculously gracious church in Christ, looking together at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. Title of the sermon is God's Grace in the Churches. If you're new here and you'd like to use the outline, we begin here. The doctrine, God's grace in the, His churches blesses everyone. Now, sometimes I think we are inclined to forget that. We think it's just about us sometimes, and that's understandable, but it's not. The God that we serve blesses in some form the entire universe through you, his church, as the gospel goes forth. Now, granted, we don't understand all of that and all the ramifications and dynamics of it, but we know it's true because even as per texts like Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we know that the entire universe centers around Jesus Christ and his church, which can never be separated. So you're at the very epicenter of all the action. And so in and through you, God is blessing the whole world. So let us now marvel at how God's grace in his churches blesses everyone. First, this is because our Father invests himself in us. If God did not give himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, there would be no hope for us whatsoever. The God-man, and none alone, and no one else, no one else could suffice to take care of us and bless either the church or the world other than God himself. And he did it through the incarnation of the God-man, the second person becoming a human being, becoming one of us and coming down here with us. In other words, there's, our problem is so monumental in our fallen sin in Adam. It's so huge. It's so absolutely gigantic gargantuan, that there was nothing short of God himself who could solve this issue. And he did it through Jesus Christ and his blood atonement and resurrection on our behalf. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, didn't come down here to earth to teach us the way to heaven or the way to live or the way to be happy or the way to salvation. He didn't come here to do that. Instead, he himself is the way, the truth, and the life, as per John 14:6. So he doesn't come here and direct us to some body of treasure somewhere else. He himself is that glorious, wonderful provision for us. So what makes the world an interesting place, an intriguing place, a wonderful place to live, is the presence of God 
in the world. And God is in the world as Christ has come here incarnated and now he is with his church in the world as the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. Take God, Christ, his church, the gospel, the word of God, Sunday, the worship of God, out of the world, which could never be done, the world would cease to exist. And even if it did exist, which would be impossible, it would be a very boring world. You are the people that make the world interesting, exciting, revolutionary, different, and glorious in Jesus Christ alone. So, God's grace in his churches blesses everyone. This is because our Father invests himself in us and through us enhances Christ's kingdom. Now, this is a blessed truth or verity that only applies to the true saints of the faithful church, us people who are still sinners, still struggle. And sometimes we might find it a little difficult to believe that that's actually true of us. But indeed, it is true. What our Father informs us of, especially in verses such as Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, referenced on your outline, is that he not only expands, but beautifies his creation, his world, his universe, his kingdom, his church, via the contribution of each one of you as you are added on to that edifice, that temple edifice of the great spiritual new covenant church. In this regard, note also 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. So the kingdom of God, the redeemed community of the new covenant church, is the only entity on earth that is inherently beautiful. Nothing separated from Christ and his church is beautiful at all. If something appears to be beautiful or is in fact beautiful, that is only because in some way it is connected to the church and the people of God, because God himself is the source of all beauty, attractiveness, and comeliness. Anything separated from him is gross, ugly. So you saints of God, we need to understand this and comprehend it. Otherwise, we will never fully engage and appreciate the effulgent glory of our privileges here on earth as the adopted, atoned for people of God, whose blood, Jesus Christ's blood, has cleansed away all our sin and given us all this wonderful blessing that we're going to read of even in today's text. You're here even today for a reason. It's not an accident, and that purpose is to bring God glory, the great triune deity who has redeemed you in Jesus Christ. But this treasure is just too huge, too mammoth, too supernatural, too abundant, too heavenly for us to contain it in ourselves. And therefore it flows over into the world around us in terms of the expansion of the kingdom of God through the proliferation of faithful churches around the world. So let us now do the exegesis of verses 1 to 7, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, and study together the flow of God's grace in his churches. We're going to see a flow, and we know that the fount of all this blessing, the initial source is the 
triune personages of the Godhead who then sends his gospel as good news out to his church and the world through his ministers who occupy and fill the faithful pulpits of the church. Real concrete actual people in real places on the Lord's Day. And then from there we pick up this holy current or stream of love and grace and mercy that flows from the church and we take that into the world. So let's see the flow of God's grace in his churches first. Miraculous divine love forms supernatural hearts, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So as I mentioned before, Paul is in Macedonia, in one of these cities, writing this letter, and he's witnessing this himself. He's an eyewitness of this generosity and the poverty and the struggle that they had, and yet their extreme generosity in the midst of it. And these churches, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea, which I mentioned are north of Corinth by about 150 miles, were in themselves materially impoverished churches. Okay, it must have been a difficult time, difficult place at that particular moment in history. But they did nonetheless have a wealth of both joy and generosity. So we ought to ask the question, what can explain this? Nothing can explain this but the miraculous supernatural work of God through his church and the gospel ministry, the transformation that happens in new creatures by God through Jesus Christ, and the infusion and giving of the Holy Spirit to us to live and abide with us forever. Now, all of us as sinners, dears, are tending to cling to what we have, right? And we're naturally loath to be parted from it, especially when we ourselves have real, palpable, felt needs. But the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ frees our liberated hearts to bless others, especially in the church, who have needs. Now, this heavenly freedom is the result of a completely clean and clear conscience before God, whereby even though we know ourselves to be sinners, we have acknowledged ourselves with honor and honesty before God, and he has claimed us as his own, not because of us, but because of his own sovereign mercy. These completely clear, clean consciences unshackle our minds and hearts, and allow us then, by God's grace, to open up and be abundantly kind to others, particularly the churches, those people that are already God's people, remembering the Galatians 6.10 principle that we're to do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that's what we're seeing here in these churches in Macedonia. So the flow of God's grace in his churches, miraculous divine love, form supernatural hearts that follow the heavenly pattern, verses 3 through 5. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. Now, if you're a seamstress or you know how to use patterns, that's kind of the picture we're trying to work with here. There are three wonderful sections of this pattern. Verse 3, we behold reasonable, thoughtful, but 
very sacrificial giving on the part of these Macedonian congregations. Now, this is not irresponsible giving, that which by doing so would have left their own parishes in the lurch. It's not irresponsible giving, but it is generosity that undoubtedly pinched their own already limited conveniences. So it's pretty clear that they weren't in the greatest shape, materially speaking, and yet they insist on abundantly blessing others in much more need. And of course, the church that would be especially blessed here is the church in Judea or Jerusalem, where Paul and others would be taking the gift, and that comes out in this book and the book of Acts and other places as well. Now, the second part of the pattern, verse 4, we witness something that can only be explained by the Holy Spirit's work and influence, and that is this wonderful, sincere, heartfelt desire to partake in the relief of other Christians in need. Indeed, in Judea, and the Macedonian believers maybe had never met them, didn't know anything hardly about them, except, of course, they knew that the gospel started in Jerusalem and spread to Judea and and Samaria and to the other parts of the earth, in fact, had begun to fill up the entire Roman Empire at that time. So perhaps these Gentile, principally Gentile churchmen in Macedonia, were especially grateful to their Jewish brethren for uh, spreading that gospel all the way to Macedonia. And if you remember, Macedonia was in Europe, and Paul received the Macedonian call in the book of Acts, and he went to Philippi, and Philippi became the first European church. And Lydia, the seller of purple, was the first convert, and then the jailer. And then their, their families and their babies are baptized by Paul and Silas in 16th chapter of Acts. So, and Philippi became a very precious church to the Apostle Paul. It was very close to him. And so as well, undoubtedly, the church in Berea and also in Thessalonica. But Linda does get the sense that these Macedonian Christians would have been generous with any churches anywhere else in the world if they knew they had the need and they could help them with it. It's not like they felt like it was just one as opposed to another. And then the third part of the pattern, verse 5, more or less explains the whole thing. This wonderful big-heartedness of the Macedonian Christians was the result of their doing their Christianity correctly. They gave themselves, according to this text, first to the Lord, and then, quote, by the will of God, unquote, they gave themselves to the Lord's ministers, in this case, Paul and his presbyterial companions. Now, again, this is a lovely template for church life, for Christian living. This sort of development, which we'll recap in a moment. Now, interestingly, at the beginning of verse 5, Paul very intriguingly admits that he and his companions did not actually expect this giving first to God and then to the ministers thing to happen. But unquestionably, they were all made very happy and joyful that indeed it did. So the miraculous divine flow uh, form supernatural hearts that follow the heavenly pattern which inspire other parishes' generosity. That's that flow, again, moving through the earth. Verses 6 and 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, or it could be your love for us, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the Corinthian church had a lot more outward material and giftedness resources than did the dear saints in the Philippian, Thessalonian, Berean churches. They were famous for that. Paul talks about it a lot. They had a lot of material resources, but giftedness resources. But they could learn so much from the Christ-like behavior of these Macedonian believers. And I'm sure that they did, and were impressed by it. Now Paul would be sending Titus and some other ministers back to Corinth to handle this gift, as we read from chapter 8, verses 16 to 24. And when those men got there, Paul wanted to be sure the Corinthian church was ready for them and in a position of eager beneficence or desirous to be abundant in their grace. Now, ask ourselves this question. What would be easier for the Corinthian church to practice and excel in their numerous spiritual gifts in which they had so much Uh, pleasure such as faith, speech, knowledge, and earnestness, just to name a few that Paul lists out here in this passage, would they be more comfortable with that or they're following the amazing example of the Macedonian Christians? Well, from a human point of view, I think it's obvious they would be a lot more comfortable just enjoying their gifts. And then here's this challenge by the Macedonians. Now, sometimes even we really need to be challenged to come out of our comfort zones and embark on something that may not be all that natural to us, um, whatever that may be. And that's always a good thing for us to consider as long as we do that in a way that is according to the Holy Scripture. Now, here would be a good example. The Corinthians are sort of challenged by the Macedonians. And as long as it's something as noble as the spread of the true gospel through the faithful church, then we know we're on good ground. Now, even in our own presbytery, there's been a a recent call for the planting of more churches in our own presbytery. And that's a good thing and a glorious thing. And it's one that we should participate in with joy and pleasure. So God's grace in his churches blesses everyone. We've seen the flow of God's grace in his churches. Let's now comprehend why Christ is the focus and source of God's grace in his churches. There's no grace where there's no Christ. Indeed, there's no good at all. There's no truth. There's no wonder. There's no excitement where there's no Christ. The whole purpose of God's grace in his churches is Christ and the propagation of his gospel, the preaching thereof on the Lord's days. Christ alone explains the Macedonian church's generosity. Every true Christian's giving of him or herself to God in the ministry and the spread of the kingdom or church of God around the globe. So now let us celebrate together why Christ is the focus and source of God's grace in his churches. First, as we are absorbed with our Messiah, and this is the key, being consumed with, united to, and covenanted in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that may sound easy, but that's miraculous. That's the highest and holiest calling. 
The easy thing is what religion usually calls us to do, and that's just to do things. Just be active. But this is to miss the point entirely with regard to the true religion. The true religion calls us to be absorbed in, covenanted to, united to, passionate about Jesus Christ, and then through him, through his church, we will do plenty of things. I, for one, am amazed at what you do. And looking at ministry reports, percentage of you that are involved, all of you really are faithful. It's amazing. And the glory is, the gospel is going forth. The church is built up, God is glorified. There's no higher calling than that. The redeemed church's gospel faith is one of kingdom expansion. So in your hearts, through your influence, through your church's work, the glorious fact is that God uses a simple means of grace, preaching, sacraments, and prayer. That's the means by which God builds up his holy church. It's the old-fashioned way, but it's the only way that works. It's the only way God has ever expanded the gospel. In the first century here, it happened where people who basically could only come together one day a week, Sunday morning, hear preaching, take the sacrament, pray together, overturned the entire Roman Empire. Don't ever forget, there's the glory is in the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. It's in Jesus Christ. We'll do plenty of things, but the glory is in Jesus, the means of grace. Why was God glorified by the Macedonian and Corinthian congregations aiding the Jerusalem church? Well, among other reasons, because the mostly Gentile Christians would be blessing the mostly Jewish Christians in Jerusalem so that the Lord Jesus Christ would be fed to the saints and to the people off the street as they're brought by the Holy Spirit into the church on Sunday mornings. And that's why we should as well, if we love people, invite them to our church as well. But all of this, there's, is because by grace, God has made us to be enamored, not with a lot of things or a lot of people or a lot of dynamics, but with one human being, the Immaculate One, the Perfect One, the Sovereign One, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And through Him, we can do amazing things. As we're absorbed with our Redeemer, our heart's potentials, P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L-S are fully unleashed. You know, this is a glorious thing too, you dear saints who love God, as faithful members of the church. You can have a vista of glory in, in your life that is beyond your imagination, your ability to conceive of it, as long as you stay faithful in Jesus Christ in the covenant. Lord's day to Lord's day. And trust him. And believe that he has indeed forgiven your sins and washed you away, your sins away. True life is found only in Christ. As we care about the church, bless the church, and extend the borders of it, we do three things. We glorify God, we fulfill our purpose, and we bless the whole world. Which is a good thing to do. Who is the only hope for the world? Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is our only hope? our blessed Messiah. 
How is he known by faith in his person, his blood atonement, and his glorious resurrection? What does this lead to? More love for God, each other, in the church, and God's people in the churches all around the world. What does love in Jesus result in? Obedience, a happy and full life in Christ. Beloved, God's grace in his churches means God's blessing on his people. Let us be thankful, joyful for God's grace in his churches. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace in your churches. Thank you that this is a a great example of it here where the Macedonians in poverty wanted to bless the Judean church and the Corinthian church would be encouraged to do the same thing. We thank you that you have just one church and we're grateful to be part of it. We thank you that we have just one head, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in his holy name that you have given your grace to your churches in Christ alone, whose name we pray. Amen.